You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject prepared for you. On this instalment is Ray McGinley. He's a singer and guitarist in Scotland's very excellent teenage fan club. Now, the catalyst for the conversation with Ray is the group's new album, their 11th. It's called Endless Arcade. So we talk about the album and, as usual, a bunch of other stuff. Hope you enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed the conversation with Ray, so here he is. You know, in, in preparation for our chat, I was, I was thrilled to actually get the opportunity to talk to you because I go back to Grand Prix, 1995. That's the era that yeah. I identify with you guys most heavily. I think you know a lot of people in Australia did because you toured back then. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I was too young to go and see you. I wasn't yet 18. I'm in my mid forties now. Yeah, yeah, me, me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I used to love uh, what you did to me. I still do, I should say. I love the ending. I've always loved that ending. It just t- caught me by surprise back then, and it still does. And uh, I, I feel like that song. I know we're here to talk about the new album, by the way. But I just want to make this point about how timeless your material is. It feels like that song came out yesterday. I've interviewed indie bands that sound like that, that have, you know, these 18 year olds that have released music this year. It sounds like what you did to me, some of this stuff. And, and I think that alludes to the genius of, of your song craft. So, well, talk, yeah, go for it. Go. Well, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we, you know, whenever we do something and it's the same for what we did when we first started recording in 1989 or what we do now, we just kind of go in and do what we feel like doing and we try not to um, we try not to think too much about what's we'll think about what's around us in terms of how we interact with each other and what we think about in our, uh, as people but we don't reference um, the musical landscape around us in a contemporaneous way uh, we didn't then and we don't now so we just kind of do what we what we feel like doing so hopefully we're not kind of tied down to any um we're not trying to fit in with anything that's around at the time you know we never we never have we've always just been we go off and make a record in our own own little bubble of self self absorption or or whatever you know so we don't um you know and i think we've been quite lucky as a band to not be associated too much with any particular musical movement or genre or whatever you know mm. kind of lived out, outside of that stuff so i think that helps um but i mean generally speaking you know music you know unless someone is uh, i mean even even things that are you know you could listen to a 70s disco record and it sounds of its time but it still sounds great you know or whatever or anything of any anything mm. uh, i mean music should be applicable you know, the good thing about it is you can lift it out of when it was and put it into your life now. And it's still, it's still whether it's a Robert Johnson blues thing or whether it's something nice, yeah, made in more recent times, it, it should, uh, you know, it should music kind of music should be applicable wherever, really. Yeah. And that, that definitely, that philosophy is threaded right the way through your music. So that's, that's, you've just articulated exactly how I feel uh, about some of your music there, which well, all of it, which is that, yeah, you can put it on at any time and uh look I, I love bands like lush so i'm not heaping shit on what what lush have done but they're not around now and uh you're, you're 11 hour, 11 albums into your into your career but you the point there is that you survived when most bands have long since split up or hate each other or just faded away yeah 
so what, why do you think that is? And, and is, it, is it just the fact that you enjoy it or is there other reasons? I mean, we, for whatever reason, we've, we get into, we wanted to, started the band basically wanting to make an album, want to go and, um, you know, and go into this other work, create this thing and then come out with a record and then kind of tour on the back of that and, and uh, we're kind of still doing it. We haven't thought of anything better to do in the interim. We never, you know, We've had different people in the band at different times, you know. Uh, mm. You know things of, but there's been this kind of slow, almost uh, any changes in the band have been kind of uh, more kind of tectonic or whatever, <laughs> rather than yeah, uh, you know, as in slow, slow or, or not, tectonic's not the word. It's more been evolutionary, whatever slow movement. Um, but we it never occurred to us to stop. You know, um, and we're never falling out over money or anything. You know, we've never had any major bust ups or that kind of thing. You know, we've we've just kind of been like, okay, we've made an album, we're touring, make another album. You know, you know what else? What else we're gonna do? You know, uh, and we haven't been like so egotistical. It's like you know, you know, like I want to leave this band and I want to express myself individually oh God, and, yeah. and that kind of thing. Because the good thing about being in a band. Is you don't get to do it all your own way, you know. You kind of you got other people around you, and working with other people is great. Um, try to do something of your own. I mean, I personally, I haven't done it, uh, but I love being in a band. I like the idea of being in a band, and you have to navigate this other thing with these other people. And mm-hmm. out of that, something comes that's better than any of the individuals, um, you know. So yeah, it never occurred to us to stop. Um, you know, there's partly, sometimes you think, well, if we'd, maybe if we'd split up in 1992 and then come back, we, you know, you might end up more legendary or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I, I think we've been happy just being, um, and I think the thing we're happy with as us now is we, we're not a heritage band or whatever. You know, we play, we've got 30 mm-hmm. years or more than 30 years worth of music. But, you know, there are a lot of bands that went away, split up, didn't do anything for years and then got back together maybe because there was money in it or maybe partly because some people might think, oh, those people I was in a band with, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe we've got more in common <laughs> to get back together. Mm-hmm. But we're just kind of, we we never, uh, it's kind of important for us to see ourselves as being in the here and now and doing what we do now. Um rather than just reflecting on stuff from the past. And whenever we make a new record, like a new record, we're not really thinking about anything we did before. Mm. We're just kind of looking at what's in front of us. But that's the same. It's been the same all the way through, really. Have you had pressure from promoters to do that play one at one of your classic albums, like Grand Prix, just using that as the example again, from beginning to end? Have you been offered wads of cash? Well, we did. We've, we've done that kind of thing. On uh, when was it? Uh, just well, recently we we reissued the albums that we did in Creation Records uh, in the nineties through to the albums, you know, basically from Bandwagon esque to the Howdy record, and we re- Sony reissued those uh, on vinyl, and we did a proper remastering thing, you know, a few years ago, three three four years ago now, um, and. Suggested to us maybe we could do some shows around those, 
Um, and we did go out and we played all those albums live from beginning to end. Mm. But we kind of didn't say before the first show that that's what we were going to do. We just said we were going to play music from that era. Mm. Um, and it was a good discipline to go and play those shows. But I think there's only so much of it you want to do. Um, you know, we we played maybe we play three we played three shows in Glasgow, with, you know, three shows in London, three shows in Manchester, or three shows in Birmingham, just in the UK. Um, and the first night we'd play Bandwagon Eskin thirteen. The second night we played Grand Prix and songs from Northern Britain. The third nice. night we played the Howdy album. Then a lot of B sides and rarities from that period. Mm-hmm. Um, and it you know it was good, and we got you know. People like Brendan O'Hare who played drums on Bandwagon-esque and 13 and the early records and then Paul Quinn who played on Grand Prix to play drums. And so we got all the people that were involved to play those shows and it was it was really good. But um, it's kind of something we would do as a little holiday from our normal life. And yes. we see our normal life as people that make music, you know, are still kind of looking forward. You know, so I think I think you can... I think you know we have done some of that, but it's not what we would want to define as as being. And it was good to learn all those songs finally, because you, you make a new album, you go. You, sometimes you think oh, there's a few songs you end up you don't do, you know. Mm. So we had to learn everything. It was a good discipline. But yeah, I think uh, we played about maybe twelve of those shows uh, over a couple of weeks, and I think that that, that was maybe enough to be. Going on, going on with, you know, yeah, there's a limit to how much of that stuff, that stuff we would do. I think, you know, everyone really enjoyed it. We, we enjoyed it and it was great. But yeah, I think, um, you know, again, we, we don't really want to be, you know, my idea of, of a teenage fan club show or any artist that I like is we go on stage and we, we, we play whatever songs we want to play and, and there should be, Partly doing the do the album thing, it's a bit like going to see a classical music concert, yep. you know. And you know, of, of late, I have gone to a lot more of those kind of things and enjoy it. But if you go and see, like, you know, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you've got like a catalogue and you know exactly what's going to happen, hmm. and it's all, and you're, you're sitting back and you know what's coming at you. And going to see the kind of do the album shows is a bit like that. People know the next song. They know there's no mystery to it, you know. <laughs> there should be some kind of mystery of like, oh, I wonder if the band are going to play this song or that song, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it was it was great, but you know, there's a limit to how much of that stuff you want to do. I think. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of comments in there that, that I want to draw for inspiration for the next question, actually, because I've always considered you guys part of the cultural zeitgeist. I certainly consider you part of my youth and also young adulthood coming through because I listened to the music. But um, there was an anomaly in the... I felt you guys were left off the train spotting soundtrack. I thought if any band should have been on there, it, sh- it should have been you guys. Is there a story behind that? Like, were you approached to do that? Uh, no, um, you know, and I can't really remember what was on the train spot. We were actually in another Irvin Welsh uh, soundtrack Hmm. Called uh, it was a film called The Grant and Star Cause, I think. Oh wow, I'm going to check um, it out. Yeah, and uh, and it was kind of I, I remember there was a kind of slightly embarrassing story. They sent they they had and it was this, this kind of other thing we'd done. This uh, 
song called Kickabout that we did as a kind of B-side thing. Hmm. But it wasn't quite like us. It was, you know, kind of used like a, you know, a sample in it and this kind of... Uh, but anyway, they sent us this this cassette, uh, a, you know, a, a video, a VCR of it, so we could look at it. Hmm. And they put the music over a sex scene in the film. <laughs> and and me and Norman and Jerry, the, the, the three of us were watching this thing. I said, yeah, come and watch this thing. And we were watching this three guys sitting in, in my living room watching this thing. And there was a... a, a a thing at the door, and it was my elderly neighbour had just come to the door. And in order to get to the door, she had to walk past the window, and she would see these three guys sitting and watching this, like, you know, I was thinking, what does she think that we do, you know? Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but anyway, that's Grant and Starkos, I think that was that was called in Beach or something of ours, but I can't remember much, much, much of it beyond that. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just thought it was an anomaly. I mean, they had uh, Primal Scream on there, and I thought if they're going to put Primal Scream on there, and I've spoken to Andrew before, he's a nice guy, but uh, yeah, I thought, yeah. I mean, you guys being from Scotland, I thought you'd you'd have to have been given a look in, but nevertheless, there you go. Yeah, well, I suppose it's, yeah, maybe maybe it's the Edinburgh Glasgow today, you know. We've got an, oh, they've yes. got an Edin- they're looking out to the world through Edinburgh's eyes, and it's, it's different than than, 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 than is that <laughs> things are viewed from here. <laughs> is that like the Sydney and <laughs> Melbourne thing, where people from Melbourne heap shit on people from Sydney, but people from Sydney? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've you know um, sometimes I say you know because people from Edinburgh we talk about Ouija's and people from Glasgow and stuff. I mean, that stuff's all pretty friendly, you know, but. Sometimes if if someone from Edinburgh is saying things about pe- people from Glasgow or looking down in Glasgow or whatever, you know, I'll say, well, you know what people in Glasgow say about Edinburgh? And they say, what? You know, and I say, nothing. You yeah. know, we don't talk about Edinburgh. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Glasgow is kind of like the centre of its own universe. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's an old saying, the big guy never talks about the little guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's always that way. So the, the poor old, poor old Melbourne. It likes to think it's a, it, a lot of people from Melbourne like to think it's a European capital. And I'm and I'm from the Gold Coast, by the way. So you know, yeah. got no skin in that game either way. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was talking. You know, the comedian Steve Hughes. And uh, uh, I'm not. I can't remember. No, he, no I, sure. he now lives in Manchester. So I know that's in England. But yeah. it's he. You might have yeah. seen him on some shows over there. He was quite big. But with all the cancel culture yeah. bullshit that's going on these days, he's been, effectively been cancelled. Because his humour is rather yeah. risque, but yeah, we had a laugh about that. And he talks about some of the people he met in Melbourne, in Manchester, heaping shit on people from Sydney. And he goes, "Where? What are you talking about? Meaning like where's Melbourne? <laughs> it doesn't exist." <laughs> okay, yeah, but let, let's talk about the album then, because um, I've, I've listened to it three times. Okay, so I've listened. I've tried to space it out, but I did listen to it tw- once last night and twice today. Now, just to give people who are listening a a uh, like a landmark or a milestone or a landmark or an artifact or what have you so they aren't familiar with your work because most of the people that i interview are from the world of heavy metal but with your music it is quite sunny sounding at times but 
you it does that that sunny sound that you've got that lights that lightness it does subtly divert away from the dark subject matter that i feel is the band's trademark i i always feel that to me you're at your strongest when you've got song titles like everything is falling apart and the sun won't shine on me that's to me that's the teenage fan club that's that's it but um i also think that those songs could have been written by brian wilson and they could be long lost cuts from pet sounds it's got that vibe going on there. So my point is, after all of that, the new album is just continuing in this grand tradition of music that I've just described that you guys create. It's a very good one, in fact. Well, thank you. But what you, you've kept, you've kept the course though too. So we already talked about the fact that you haven't gone away, but you kept the course and you've kept the core of the band's music intact. So. Do you guys, how do you write music? Is it just the old thing where you're sitting at home with the acoustic guitar and sharing it via cloud, by the cloud, or how do you do that? Um, well, we do, we're completely old-fashioned. And, you know, for me, you know, writing a song is, you know, you just have to get into a self-indulgent space where you're just kind of sitting with your feet up and kind of slightly zoning out with a guitar mm. and a cup of tea and looking at the clouds going by or, you know, and, and mess around until something comes out of inside you that you think is some kind of worthwhile mm. thing to it. And you've got all these little ideas floating about. And, uh, you know, sometimes you dismiss something that comes out of yourself instinctively. You know, like you mentioned the song, Everything's Falling Apart, and I kind of sit and, and I came up, you know, come up with this thing, which is, you know, everything's falling apart. And you're singing this thing with a few chords, and you think, "Yeah, well, you know, what's that all about?" You know, um, and you think, "Yeah, that sounds quite good, but I'll I'll come up with something better," you know. For and then you kind of realise maybe there's something there that is that has some kind of worth. And you mentioned, you know, some some of these things there is a darkness in some of our music and historically. We've thought it funny where some, some people would review our records and say, oh, here they come again, these really happy, shiny kind of people with yeah. shiny, melodic music, and it's also happy. And we kind of think, well, well, I'm not really sure about that. And we even called an album, you know, not our last album, the album before Shadows, hmm. just to kind of invite people to see, <laughs> you know, in a way, maybe view things not in this kind of, uh, you know, sunny kind of way but I think if you do things that are melodic and have harmonies people yeah. in the same way that I suppose you mentioned the Beach Boys or whatever the band that had music that maybe had had some darkness to the songs as well oh, very dark you yeah, know it sounds um, very dark yeah yeah um you know so we kind of you know I suppose we just try to pull things out of ourselves sometimes consciously something times unconsciously and you have to show a bit of yourself and show a bit of vulnerability. Um, and, you know, in the process of writing songs, you know, you're kind of thinking about things in your life or, you know, your own mortality or those kind mm. of things. And, and we, you know, those kind of areas of the subconscious that aren't necessarily part of your everyday conscious thoughts. I suppose that's kind of where we go when we're writing songs. We kind of try and pull things out, <laughs> out of that place. They somehow have, might have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, the word resonance or whatever sounds a bit pathetic or whatever, but, you know, something that somehow you feel will 
will mean something to yourself, first of all. Sometimes you don't really know why and you have to kind of build a song around it. Um, but yeah, we try and give something of ourselves. Sometimes maybe it's a little uncomfortable as well, but then, you know, ultimately that's all you got, you know, is everyone sees the world differently um, and all you can share with people and whether this is in a song or whether it's just some conversation with people you meet or whatever, you know, the interesting thing about people is how they see things, how they interpret or experience things and the uniqueness of that. And that's, that's all anyone has really. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Now, were there any concepts or themes this time around that you deliberately explored? So before you were writing your music, you went, you went, I'm going to write a song or two about, I don't know, just picking a subject, not that you have, but Brexit or something like that. We, I mean, we, I don't think we ever consciously think of any subject. Um, I mean, Norman's, and I won't get into detail, Norman's songs, Norman's songs in this album, you know, there's kind of, are more personal and talking about his relationship and things and being away from home and stuff going on in his life and stuff that are more, um, you know, there's kind of subject matter there that's closer to home or whatever. I mean, but as a band, as individuals, when we go into the process of trying to write a song, we never think in advance. There's no conscious thought process of, okay, I'm going to write a song now. I will write a song about, X, Y, or Z, you just kind of go into a place where you've kind of like, you're going to allow yourself to start thinking about writing songs and whatever comes out is whatever comes out. Um, but yeah, we've never, um, you know, you're influenced by all the stuff that's going on around you in your life uh, and in society or whatever, but I don't think we'd ever write a song consciously about anything. You know, um, certainly, yeah, writing a song about Brexit, I think maybe would be, uh, I, I, don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if anyone would want to hear that, you know. <laughs> oh, it's just the, these days, mate, you know, it seems like every band seems to need to take a political stance because they, they either feel bullied into doing it or they, they choose to do it either way. But I'm, I'm grateful you guys haven't gone down that route because... I'm all for musicians talking about whatever the hell they want to talk about. You know, it's got nothing to do with me. But um, music is an escape, though. It does give us a chance to, yeah, unwind. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think if someone naturally wants to write about or sing about anything that they want, and even if that is overtly political, well, that's, that's fine by me, if that's what someone feels. Now, if someone feels like they want to go there because they think it's the right thing to do and it's not instinctively done, then maybe it's not going to be be so good. But, I mean, you know, we, you know, our songs are kind of things that come from inside us, not necessarily things that are viewed as a, you know, there's maybe little bits here and there that's your view of society or things that you think aren't so good in society or whatever, but... It's certainly coming from a, a human level, you know, and as a songwriter, it's a kind of ultimately, ultimate kind of uh, individualistic thing, you know, that you're doing. But then the songs are things that people have shared always between human beings or whatever, but it's not like, you know, I would never do something as a means of alignment 
with another group of thought or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I can identify this, you know, this thought process that exists out there in the world and I want to align myself with it. Mm. It's not the way we work. But if other people want to work that way, that's that's fine. Whatever, whatever people want to do. Yeah. That's, you know, I don't think we are making any we don't make any rules for ourselves and we certainly wouldn't want to make any rules for anyone else either. You know. <laughs> Ultimately it depends, you know, whether it's whether it's good or not, you know. Yeah, yeah. And also, too, you've used the word resonate, whether it resonates. And it's also got to resonate with an audience, too, I think. And um, just using this one example, I hope it's an example I can use with you, but like when the Black Lives Matter stuff was taking off, how many black tiles did we see on, on Instagram? Whereas prior to that, we hadn't heard anything about social justice from so many of these musicians. Yet their music, to your point, has nothing to do with politics or even that, especially that type of politics, that type of so-called activism. Yeah, it was like a mushroom. It just sprung up over all this stuff started to spring up overnight. And uh, I think I think there's a case of there's the virtue signaling thing definitely, but there's there's also the I don't I don't want to be viewed as not supporting this cause, so I'm just going to do the obligatory black in this instance here black tile thing. When I to be honest with you, and I'm going to make a, a, my own judgment, I just don't think most people are invested enough in bands to actually want to care about what their political perspective is. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I suppose, you know, and subject to that, there's a whole world of exploration you could go into in that. I mean, there is certainly um, maybe some, maybe, you know, whatever people want to do and whoever want to express or align themselves with and uh, the way that they choose to do it, that's fine. I mean, there are, there are whole worlds of stuff that people, you know, haven't, Let's say I live in Glasgow and, you know, um, in Scotland and historically, uh, you know, people, you know, sometimes people in Glasgow think, oh, yeah, we are great. We don't have any bad things in our history and, you know, we're really cool and all that. But, you know, I live in a city that the original wealth of which is built on slavery or whatever. Mm. No one really talks about it, you know. Um you know, it was a good thing that people start to acknowledge, you know, things from the past that have been hitherto unexplored and certainly in the United States of America. Um, you know, I can see why there's a conversation between people that certainly has needed to happen there um, because, you know, things in very recent times, you know, uh, you know, so I say if you go to USA, you are aware of people living separate lives, you know, yeah. different black people and white people are, you know, there is, you know, maybe an unconscious separation that still exists, uh, you know, and, you know, when you get into the, you know, and I think in anything that forces people to examine you know, you know, their own viewpoint or their own prejudices or whatever, you know, is, is good. People need to react to something and see what they want to say about it. Now, whether people are doing that, the intentions of how someone reacts to something or expresses themselves, whatever people are doing, if they're doing it just for, um, you know, the reasons behind why people are reacting to something and expressing something, um, but I think the main thing I was, you know, I was trying to say is sometimes these days people 
want to come down on two sides of something. Either you're for this or you're against that, yeah, whatever. The body review. You know, yeah, and uh, you know, and that in itself creates some problems. You know, and some people are more expressive. Some people, you know, human beings, like to gather together and express themselves collectively. Sometimes, whether it's on a protest, sometimes whether it's on social media, or whether it's a football match. Personally, I don't really relate to, you know gathered expression or whatever, you know, but that's just me. Most human beings mm. do, I think, like to to see things and there's good things comes out of that and there's bad things comes out of that, you know. Um, you know, but it's, you know, um, you, you know, it's hard to comment on things whether people commenting on say posting post you know whether people performatively been concerned posting mm. say um, a black square and not doing anything else you know maybe it's a good thing you know uh you know but it's, it's you can't really judge you know i can't i don't think you can judge anything all all one way or all the other way i mean overall i think Things for anything that forces people to examine the preconceptions is a good thing, uh, and then people can react to it afterwards. But it's not a case of uh, you know picking a side. I think everyone everyone's you know, and I don't mean that to be you have to pick a side of the racists or the non-racists. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean in yeah. terms of how people uh, express their opposition to racism might be multifaceted or whatever. But certainly, you know, there's a lot of history, you know, I can totally see the concept of Black Lives Matter and the sentence or the statement Black Lives Matter as something that I think that needed to be said, particularly for the USA, you know, because given that, you know, um, I suppose a lot of uh, black people are dying at the hands of the police or whatever. But then if you have other people that want to then see all police has been the problem. Yeah, it's more nuanced than that, you know. But yeah, yeah that's the issue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a nuanced debate, yeah. Another thing is um, I'm Catholic and uh, my father's family are from Scotland. And uh, I, I thought, well, I don't really follow any of the EPL side, so I'll pick one from the Scottish League. Of course, I picked Rangers because uh, Craig Moore used to play for them and he's an Australian yeah. captain and a very good player. I've seen him play. He used to play here in Brisbane as well. Um but I explained to some Scots and Irish that I went for Rangers. I don't could go for them. I just bought the jersey and just sort of watch it occasionally. I wouldn't even have a clue these days, to be honest with you. But they basically explained to me that I would get hanged if I was over there and being Catholic and, and uh, supporting Rangers. Is that still the case? Is it still that sector? Um, I, would, I would say, yeah. Um, although there is, you know, I mean, I mean, well, put it this way. If you went back... If you went back a few years, you know, if you were a Rangers fan, a Catholic, and you were a great, your best football player in the world, you wouldn't have got a game for Rangers. You know, yeah. you wouldn't now. You know, uh, but yeah, it's you know, it's um, yeah. I mean, I grew up in the seventies in Glasgow, and the questions people would ask you what, were, uh, what school do you go to, and what team do you support? You know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was a pretty binary thing, you know, and I grew up, you know, not want to be part of that at all. I went to school, uh, I went to Catholic school, um, 
I was brought up as a Catholic kind of, but my parents weren't. They kind of brought me up to be suspicious of holy people, basically. Um, mm. Maybe That's they were good. hypocritical. But I went to Catholic school. All my friends at school were Catholics, and, I, and all of my friends at home um, were, you know, most of the people at school were Catholic Celtic supporters. Most of the people around my home and the street where I lived were Protestant Ranger supporters. Um, mm. And I saw things from both sides, you know. So I know that, you know, a lot of people might think, yeah, Rangers fans are all like, you know, orange walk supporting bigots and all that. I know that's mm. not true, you know. Um, but yeah, being a, uh, maybe it's different now, but yeah, being being a Catholic Rangers fan would, uh, you, yeah, you'd be a, a bit of a unicorn or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you've ever shared that with people. Yeah, it's a, well, maybe yeah. We, we don't we don't have any of that shit in Australia, as you know. We, yeah, which uh, is great. Don't... I mean, I hate I, I grew up with that and I hated it, you know. And I saw you know bullshit on both sides of the argument. You know, well, not the argument. I mean. To be fair to Celtic, you know, you know, they didn't bar people of any religion, whereas Rangers did until the eighties or whatever, you know, and it's not recent. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of bullshit around all that stuff, and I hated, I hated it all, and I couldn't wait to be rid of it, you know. Yeah, it's extremely toxic, isn't it? And it, it seems yeah. to be based on virtually like it's it doesn't have solid foundations either, especially now. People carrying on with it now, it's just like they're they're leaning into it for no for just because they like division. Yeah, well, people, I mean, again, it's like there's people that want to be, want to identify and want to align with other people, like-minded people or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, and that's part of the that's part of the human experience or whatever, that people will do that. I mean, some of it is kind of slightly cartoonish. People do it and, you know, um, some of it's good-natured, some of it is completely toxic. There is a lot of bigotry still exists maybe not as much as it used to be. Um, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, it's something that still is, is, a, is a bit of a poison in this, uh, this part of the world, you know. Yeah, yeah, getcha, yeah. So, so back to the music again, with Endless Arcade, something else that you guys have, have always been on point with is the production, I feel. You, you just, you know how, it, it seems like as though you get what, from a technical perspective, what needs to happen to bring a song to the listener in its best form. And this is another great example of it. So what's, do you have a production philosophy or do you just do what you think works? We, well, personally, my production philosophy is do I like it or do I not like it? Mm. Um, whether that's what the drums sound like or what the guitars sound like or whatever, you know, I mean, we've been doing this for years and, uh, you kind of, you know, you get, uh, you know, you've, it's, it's like walking down the road. You don't really think about how you're going to move one foot in front of the other or whatever. You just kind of do it. Um, yeah. Uh, although you had to learn how to do it at some point in your life, but you can't really remember that. Um, so we're a bit like that with making, re <laughs> making records. <laughs> we just kind of go in and set up and we do the things we do. And uh, we don't really think about production. We just think about capturing things in a way that um, pleases, you know. Uh, you know, but we're we're pretty passionate about all those kind of things, you know. But also, you can be naive and thinking that everything is controllable. 
you know, but when you got like random elements like drum kits and guitar amps and things and in a room, you end up with some a sound of something that is uh, that is what it is. And sometimes if you try and reverse engineer a desire onto something that exists in reality, mm. it, it, you know, you kind of lose what the good the good thing is. The good thing is identify, being able to hear things for what they are and going with it. So we just kind of try and massage things mm. uh, so that the whole kind of works musically rather than being trying to impose a, you know, a sonic ideal on something, you know, but it's all kind of subtle. As I say, it's like walking down the road, you know, there's a lot going on, but, but you don't, you don't think about, you don't think about it, you know? Yeah. You, you're one of the first bands that I picked up on that you can hear each instrument as a, as a separate unit and it all blends together beautifully, but you can actually hear what the bass is doing, for example, which doesn't usually happen with indie bands. I've got to say, it's either it's overbearing, like it could be in Nirvana's music, or it was just buried. It just wasn't. It was just a. It was. It some of this stuff doesn't even need to have bass and, and and solid drum lines too. You've always had very good drum patterns. Well, I mean, again, these things are kind of, uh, it's, and we, we just kind of, we just come in in the studio, and it might be even there's no demo. It could be mm. you just kind of show people the song as you're standing there with a mic, with a guide, some kind of guide vocal that might not even have the finished words on it. Um, you know, and then everyone starts playing and you're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Or, you know, or maybe that's a bit too fast, it's a bit too slow, but we like to trust each other as musicians rather than be all one person's trying to control what someone else is doing. And everyone in the band, are all good musicians. You know, you have to trust people to do and to add things to the song and sometimes take a song to places you didn't know it could go to, you know. Um, let's say there's a song we mentioned before in this album, Everything's Falling Apart, mm. and we were recording it. Dave's playing bass, and uh, I get back from the studio back home, and I was playing it again, and and I came, came home, and I just kind of soloed the bass line and just listened to the bass on its own, you know, and I was thinking, God, listen to that, that's amazing. You know, nice. Dave, he doesn't play... He doesn't play the same thing twice in the chorus. Every single bit is different. But, you know, it's good when you can just, you know, I was thinking, God, I'm half tempted just to put the bass out on its own, you know. Nice. I love that stuff. That's fantastic, uh, yeah. But it's just, you know, but, but that wasn't, you know, okay, I wrote the song, but I didn't tell Dave what to play in bass. He's just playing, it's like tight sounding in the verses and then it gets more expansive in the choruses, but that's just part of a musician's reaction to what's happening in the room. And that's because the good thing about bands is you get this thing that comes from the band that isn't controllable, nor should you allow it to be controlled, you know. You don't want to create an uptightness by imposing on everyone, no, 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 I'm the genius here, you know, I need to tell everyone what to do. <laughs> Uh, so we we like to trust each other as musicians and let everyone take it somewhere where take things to a better place, you know. And there's a lot on this the, the new record. There's lots of things like that, whether it's Francis playing the drums, little keyboard uh, melody counter melody lines. Eros has come up on the, you know, on the keyboard or like Dave's bass 
bass playing, I think, is 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 really great on this this record. Um, um, and it's just, but it's all kind of done. Some of it's maybe done in a couple of takes, you know. And it's not really, there's no, there's no discussion going into it. We just kind of start playing and look at each other, and and that's what comes out, you know. Yeah, I've been a part of a few of those sessions where you've got the so-called, you know, boy genius who's, I'm a, I'm a musician too, and uh, and and being a bassist and a guitarist, but especially with the bass, you uh, you said you you're in the studio and you do the recording and. Uh, and you listen back to the finished product and they've totally re- replaced what you've done or cut and pasted it using Pro Tools. And yeah. uh, it loses that feel, it loses the vibe that you've so eloquently described there, Dave, your bass player happening, having. But uh, but that's why you guys have been around so long because you you've learned to trust each other. And I think that's yeah, the I think ingredient of success, yeah. Uh, and I think as a band, the band should be a band. A, sh- a band should be about the different people expressing themselves. It shouldn't be about, you know, just some people, you know, I'm sure, I mean, there must be bands where people just do it at a tool or whatever, you know, or have all their stuff tightened up in Pro Tools, you know, <laughs> to, you know, because a lot of, you know, the subtleties of timing, you start to mess with some of those things and it goes all goes horribly wrong quite quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, people, I think human beings are incredibly you know, sensitive to playing things just at the right time, just at hitting the right moment, more so than, can be more precise than things that would be a machine. You know, you know, you hear, I mean, there's no, you know, I'm not saying we are certainly, well, I think Norman and Eros are amazing singers. I think I have to try, I'll try a lot harder than them. But I mean, there's no, there is no vocal tuning whatsoever on this record. There's no time correction of anything on this record. You know, maybe I'm trying to think any of the songs that we edit different takes together, but people have been editing takes together forever. You know, the Beatles it, it takes ed- edited together. That's about as far as we would go. You know, we just basically do it over and over again until, until it sounds right in the old fashioned way. And sometimes people are just fixing it in Pro Tools because they think that's quicker, but um, but it's depressing trying to do that. I think you know. Oh, it's a horrible way to make albums, and uh, yeah. a lot of a lot of very heavy heavy metal bands do it, where it's so. It's, the word I'm looking for is quantized. They quantize everything yeah. to within an inch of its life, and uh, you you actually find that it sounds so sterile. It makes you feel. I don't know whether it makes you feel sick, but it makes you feel slightly nauseous because there's nothing human about it. And you want those mistakes. You want the movement and the groove. Yeah. I mean, even, say, music like Kraftwerk mm-hmm. uh, seems really soulful to me because um, it's done so elegantly. And, you know, you know, there's not much going on in those records by way. You know, I think you can have... But sometimes I think when you take what is allegedly human performance and try and mechanise it, it turns into this other thing and different people like different things, but um, um, when things become just so, I think there's an illusion of power that people think when everything's all lined up, that it kind of hits you in your consciousness, like it's more powerful than before. And the things that a lot, sometimes there's a precision of human expression that's a bit subtlety. 
that you might get with repeated listening. Uh, and when you just line it all up, it sounds like it's more impressive, but you maybe listen to it a couple of times and you don't want to listen to it again because it doesn't do anything for you, you know. Um, but again, different, you know, I think people make records all different kind of ways. And if it sounds good at the end, that's fine, you know. Uh, and people make mechanistic sounding records. That's great as long as they're good sounding mechanistic records, you know. Uh, you know, but if you're trying to make a record that is trying to create an illusion of a really tight band, you know, that I think it's better to be honest about the if you're making a, a mechanistic sounding record rather than making it as an illusion. But you know, you know, again, I, I wouldn't want to be like anyone. People, you know, anyone can make records any kind of way. So there's no right and wrong way to do it. Um, it just depends whether people get something out of it at the end. Yeah, to your point too, there's this strange thing with uh, humans where we want to appear to be perfect. We all sort of have that high, high value. We place a lot of value in like saving face. And uh, whether you're an Iron Maiden fan or otherwise, they did, they had a couple of albums in the early 90s where they went and did a bunch of dubs over the top. It's only starting to just quietly sort of come out now that they did, did that. When... Man, the fans would have just loved to have heard the band, warts and all, as they were performing music at the time. It was just before Bruce left. And uh, as I say, they went and did a bunch of overdubs and stuff, and there's, there's no point. You know, Kiss are famous for it, of course. Their so-called Alive albums are very far from live, but they, they present that they present that that thing. And, uh, I mean, they're still great albums. I'm not knocking the albums. I'm just saying that um, there's that tendency for us to want to release music, because that's what we're talking about here, music. That has no blemishes, whereas I sort of think, no, release it, warts and all. It's the same thing with podcasts, the whole thing. Just if you've made a mistake, so be it. Or if you've expressed an opinion badly, so what? You're still exploring ideas. I think music is the same. It's just about an exploration of ideas. Yeah, I mean, everyone, uh, you know, I mean, making, you know, making a record as a, you know, if you're passionate about it, you want to, you want to get it right. And most of the good records have been made people of, you don't just do it once and think, yeah, yeah, that's fine, whatever. You know, you're trying to get somewhere, mm. but sometimes you get there and then you start moving away from it again. And I think it's about knowing when you've got what you wanted or what you thought you wanted before you started. Sometimes you get into the process and you just kind of lose your mind in the middle of it mm. and you forgot what it is you're trying to do. As long as you get what you want, you know, that's, that's fine. And you've maintained some perspective and whatever it takes to get there. Is uh, is fine. I don't know. If I read something like, say, certainly the Beatles did loads of takes of things. Um, I don't know if, like, you know, in the White Album, like Paul McCartney's solo performance of Blackbird. I don't know if there were like fifty or sixty takes of that or something. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, but you're trying to get something that has that has what you want and if it takes that that's fine if you get it in the first take well that's fine as well but sometimes people are trying to achieve something that um uh, is some kind of uh, myth of what a good record is you know mm. uh, and it's not it's not about achieving perfection it's about achieving some kind of something that might have some kind of emotional power or something, you know. 
know. Mm. But you know, we all anyone who makes records, you know, everyone's guilty of losing the plot sometimes. It's part of the <laughs> it's part of the process. Well, you guys, you guys haven't had a misstep though, not in my opinion. Well, I mean, I think we've been happy by the time we've got things out. You know, I mean, sometimes you do something, you do a vocal, and then you listen back and you think, "Oh no, I can do that better." And then you do it again. Then sometimes you think, "Oh no, what I had was fine." Uh, you know, but you know, ultimately, you put a record out, and it is where it is. You get it to be where you want it to be, as good as you can do it, and uh, and uh, and then you finish, and then you move on, and you make another one. You know. Whether we've had any missed, I think missteps is doing something that you know isn't right, but you put it out anyway, mm-hmm. and we haven't done that. You, know? well, you haven't got you haven't got a hip hop album or a uh, dirty electro album or any. I mean, some artists do. No, that, well, that we, kind of... we 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 yeah. I mean, we made we made a record with Della Soul, which is great. Uh, you know, and that was a real privilege to work with people like them. That was on um, the Judgment Night soundtrack, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remembered yeah. that. Great, yeah, good track. But that was a good track, though. That was a, that was an awesome. Yeah, yeah, and we we loved we loved working with those guys who were great. You know, that was a real mm. privilege to be able to work with uh, people of their caliber and to see how they work, and how they put things together, uh, and that was great. You know, um, but I mean, if, if if in our past we'd felt like making a hip hop album, as long as it was a half decent one, well, <laughs> people can do what they want. You know, uh, but you know, I think it's I think it's you know our kind of our kind of only rule or whatever is we don't if something feels instinctively wrong to us then it is wrong mm. and we don't do things if it feels wrong we, we do things if it feels right it's right and if you, if you mm. only do what feels right to you then it's not a mistake a mistake is only doing something that doesn't feel right and look i know album sales the charts in other words are hardly a barometer of success and popularity in 2021 but your last album did peak at number 10 in the uk charts and prior prior to that your highest chart position in the uk i think was grand prix which uh, went to number seven but this album here i think is going to do very well as well so do you do you feel as though the band is when i say more popular than ever i think you know what i'm saying do you feel like as though You've you've pl- you've reached that point where, where yeah, you're doing it. You it's you're a ha- you're a household name in some circles. Um, well, we just we're just in our bubble doing what we want to do, and then we take it out into the world, you know. Um, and in a way, we when we make a record, we just kind of go away to nowhere and do it, and then come back out again. Um, and you know, we hope that we can people will like it or we can go and play shows. But we also think there's no reason why you can't be just as vital now as you were years ago. Mm. And we'd look to people like way down into their career doing stuff that people are perceiving as being as good as anything they did. You know, I think that people like, say, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds or whatever, you know, they're more popular than they've ever been and making records in the here and now and being expressive. And they're, they're way bigger now than they were, to my mind, even 10 or 15 years ago or something, you know. Mm. Um, and there's no reason why people can't be, you know. And again, they are also people that have never really gone down the heritage route, you know. They've always been doing what they do as expressive in, in the current day, you know. So I think there's no reason why you can't be... You know, and I think we're lucky these days that people can be in their fifties or sixties or whatever, you know, 
and have people look at what they do and still see them as being relevant or a valid means of expression to be in a band making new music. I don't think that existed maybe 30 years ago mm. to the same extent. Um, so I think we're lucky to be in this time where people will look at anyone of any age. And generally, I think in audiences now, when we play, audiences are getting younger and older. No one's uptight about what they like so much anymore like they used to be, you know. So, yeah, but we just do our thing and then we come out into the world and have a look around and, you know, see how people react to us, you know. But it's not something we think about when we're making records. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, you, I, I like that that you said you're in your, your own world, or paraphrasing you there, and do, just doing your own thing. And uh, I think uh, if you're chasing success, it's like that elusive thing. You keep on pushing it further and further back, especially with music. Otherwise, everybody would just do what makes them successful. But there is no formula. You can only be yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. I'll make this my final question for you then, uh, Australia. I certainly remember the mid-90s and how, how big you were back then. I remember, I think I got into you through the Geffen, Geffen Rarities CD. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that song? Remember that song? I can't remember the name of the song was on it. but I can't remember. I can't remember. But that's where, that's where I heard you. And I, oh, I like this because I liked you guys. I like Weezer, Sebado, Dinosaur Jr., that, that sort of trip. And... Um, I think a lot of people in Australia felt the same way because I, I, I could be wrong, but I just felt like there was this, uh, you know, in terms of popularity in Australia, you peaked around Grand Prix. So, do you have do you have fond memories of touring in Australia? And if you do, are we are we a special territory, so to speak? Um, yeah, I mean, this was the first time we came to Australia. We did the big day, mm. um, and I think that was ninety four. I think, uh, and that was this was. A great introduction to uh, being, and I think we were on, you know, I suppose it was funny being on tour with, and, you know, forgive me if I get the, the people who were on the tour. Yeah, it was Ministry. But I, think, uh, I, think, I think the Ramones might have been doing it, and Bjork yeah. or whatever, you know, and being <laughs> checking into the same hotel mm. with all those people. I mean, and that was, that was great. I mean, it was a bit, you know, it seemed really hot for us, kind of uh, ultra pale skinned Northern Europeans. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, it was a bit of a culture shock, but we, we loved it. We had a great time. We've always had a good time. Uh, so, did you say, are you, in, are you in Brisbane? Yeah. Did you say you were in Brisbane? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and of course, you know, there's lots of good music's come out of Australia and been, you know, certainly the go-betweens and stuff have always been an influence on us and we yeah. toured with, together with the go-betweens and stuff and it's a shame you know grant's no longer with us and things you know but we still oh, see wow. yeah you know, we, you know we still see robert you know uh you know so yeah i mean we've uh we we hope the last time we were in australia me and norman were really ill and uh we came down with some flu nor of horrible thing and we managed to get through the shows but we felt a bit like we hope people weren't thinking, why are those guys in such a state? <laughs> but uh, we, we did the best and we got through the shows. We were looking forward to coming back, you know, hopefully, you know, in uh, full health, you know, at some point, you know, but I, who knows when that's going to be, you know. Oh, God, yeah. But, yeah, but we always, uh, and, and I suppose as well, there's something interesting for us in the experience of touring Australia and seeing the, the culture of each city, 
individually there's something unique about that experience of the you know being different places and just kind of flying from one place to another place you know uh, but we've always we've always had a good time generally speaking you know in Australia and hopefully you know hopefully we can get back you know at some point you know hopefully we can get back anywhere even hopefully we can play a concert in Glasgow somewhere else and you know <laughs> never mind the other side of the world yeah well we've just uh, there's a travel bubble has opened up between us and New Zealand because there's literally a million Kiwis living in Australia these days. So that, that probably yeah. had to happen. Um, but I think, hope, fingers crossed that we're, we've seen the, the worst of the lockdowns and, uh, you know, the vaccine rollouts and, and the like and, and rapid testing. I don't, still can't understand why they didn't introduce rapid testing facilities outside of gigs so to ensure that people like bands like yourselves could play. That seemed like the most obvious thing to do, but governments anywhere just didn't do it, a lot of it. Uh, any of it, I don't think, but that was certainly a technology that was there and was available because we need live music, man. As you know, you see how happy yeah. you make people when you play. I mean, that's the highlight of their month and potentially even year a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, people who like music love live music and musicians love to play. It's a simple thing, you know, people uh, people like getting together in groups with other people <laughs> and doing things. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah hopefully Having a beer we'll and listening to some guitars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for the chat, Ray. It's been fantastic. Okay. Uh, congratulations well, on everything, and, and I sincerely hope, fingers crossed, that we see you guys down here sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, thank you. It's good to chat. No also. worries. All right, cheers. <laughs> All right, good luck with everything. Cheers, mate. See Bye. 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 You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview featured the one and only Ray McGinley, who is the guitarist and singer in Scotland's very excellent teenage fan club. Thanks for tuning in.